Ahoy and welcome to the Pirate Wire Services podcast. This week we'll be talking about what happened in Chile on Sunday the 1st of May, which was of course International Workers' Day. That day there were two marches in Santiago. One was the traditional Labor Day march organized by the Central Unitaria de Trabajadores. That's Chile's main trade union federation, known in English as the Workers' United Federation of Chile, and the march was attended by the Labour Minister. It remained pretty peaceful and there was relatively little police presence. But there was also another march organised by the Central Clasista de Trabajadores, or Classist Workers Central, in the area around the central station in the barrio of Megs. There, there were confrontations between demonstrators and street vendors, with some protesters burning barricades. The police, known as the Carabineros, responded by cracking down on the protesters with water cannon and tear gas. Three journalists were shot during the protests. One of the victims is Francisca Sandoval, a journalist covering the march who was shot in the face. The latest information we have is that she's still fighting for her life in hospital. Also, radio reporter Fabiola Moreno was shot in the shoulder and reporter Roberto Caro was shot in the leg. Both of them have been discharged, according to the Committee to Protect Journalists. Two suspects are under house arrest, while a third, believed to be the one that shot Sandoval, has been detained by the police. The committee's Latin America and Caribbean program coordinator, Natalie Southwick, said that protests are consistently one of the most dangerous environments for journalists in Chile, adding that it was essential that they be allowed to cover demonstrations safely and without fear of violence. As if to underscore this point, when Reporters Without Borders published its annual World Press Freedom Index this week, Chile had sunk to position 82, its lowest ranking ever. The international press freedom watchdog highlighted its concentration of ownership, violence against journalists from the security forces and failure to punish attacks against the press. We spoke to John Bartlett, a journalist based in Santiago, about that. Down the years, there's been a history uh, if not a tradition of uh, Chilean intelligence services, particularly the military, tapping the phones of journalists, spying on them, foreign journalists as well as national ones. And it's not always done in the most subtle of ways, so that's how we know these things have been happening. Uh, with regards to the press freedom issue, I've always been amazed that Chile's ranked so, uh, so highly on that index. Uh, and the reason I'm surprised by that is that the concentration of ownership in Chile is just nothing new. In fact, the Mercurio, uh, El Mercurio and El Mercurio Group, as the, the oldest newspaper in Chile, one of the oldest in Latin America, if not the oldest, that's one of the two groups that operates the basically the, the whole of the Chilean media, media alongside Copesa, who own La Tercera, uh, the other major news source here, and there are several others under each of those two conglomerates. So it's amazing the concentration of ownership, and that basically gives you one version of events in Chile because they have the same editorial line and it's been remarkable to see how how free and fair people outside of the country seem to think the Chilean press is. For those of you who aren't aware there was a massive social uprising in Chile starting in late 2019. What started out as protests over rising subway fares soon turned into nationwide protests against inequality. By February 2020, 36 people had been killed and more than 11,000 injured, according to some counts. Amnesty International recommended that criminal investigations be launched into deaths, injuries and torture at the hands of the Carabineros. 
Left-wing leader Gabriel Boric became president on the 11th of March on a platform promising to rewrite Chile's constitution and usher in a new, more just era for Chilean society. But these violent clashes and the sight of journalists being shot in the streets underscores the magnitude of the challenge he's likely to face. So I don't think it's particularly shocking that, um, that, that there were clashes that time, but to see journalists injured, of course, that should should never be happening and it and it was uh, and it was pretty distressing to see what happened on Sunday with regard to what happened in 2019 I think that it's very difficult to put a lid back on the the strength and, and depth of feeling that was that was unleashed by those protests but I'm not sure how much you can really relate that to to what's happening now on Tuesday President Boric visited the hospital where Francisco's being treated on his way out he was booed and insulted by a group The scene seemed like a reflection of his popularity ratings. Halfway through April, opinion polls found that more Chileans disapprove of Boric's leadership than approve of it. In other words, the honeymoon's over. To understand this situation, we spoke to Maximo Quitral, a Chilean political analyst at the Technological Metropolitan University. Maximo, why do you think Boric's popularity is waning such a short time after coming to the presidency? Bueno, el tema de la luna de miel responde a dos factores. Primero, lo que ocurre es que la Okay, I'd like to respond by talking about two factors. First, what happened is that the election was an anti-caste vote more than a pro-Boric vote. And because of this, it generated a massive problems that with the passing of each week has become more of a problem. And that is affecting his political support. The second factor is that I'm not sure if many of the promises that he made during his campaign are being fulfilled. The president, for example, always said he wanted to reform pensions, but his proposal to do so was rejected by the legislature, and this is affecting his popular support as well. Boric suffered a serious setback in Parliament a few weeks ago. Chile has, on a number of occasions recently, allowed people to withdraw money from their pension pots as a way of the working classes dealing with the economic devastation from the pandemic. But after the latest withdrawal was blocked, Boric's government presented an alternative proposal and deputies from the ruling coalition withdrew their support from a bill his government had presented as an alternative. The situation with his allies failing to support his projects raises serious questions about his ability to carry out further reforms. Maximo, do you think it's possible for Boric to turn this situation around in Congress? Sí, bueno, es reversible porque todavía está Well, yeah, sure, it's reversible. Some parliamentary officials support proposals that would allow people to make withdrawals from their pension funds. The issue is that this reversal by the president of his political stance has impacted his popularity. That is to say, during his time as a parliamentary member, he supported withdrawals, and now he considers it a bad political position. Naturally, popular opinion has not liked his change in opinion. Where we are now is that the president, or rather the government in this case, presented a proposal not to approve a fifth withdrawal from pension funds, rather than proposing an alternative to working-class demographics, and this hasn't been taken well by the Chilean public. Returning to the 1st of May protests, Beyond the political situation, it seems there's a sense that Boric's government has a kind of pending debt to society with regard to the social situation, one that harks back to the 2019 protests and the people who are still in prison for protesting. 
Likewise, some of the officers in the Carabineros who are accused of committing human rights abuses are still in their jobs. Despite the legacy of the 2019 protests, though, Maximo doesn't think that Boric's left-wing government has its roots in those events, nor in the foundational spirit of rewriting the constitution. Instead, he feels that other factors were at play, including, for a lot of people, their dislike of the other guy, which was the far-right candidate José Cast. Well, I'm not so in agreement with the logic of this analysis that Borges' triumph is a popular response to 2019. For me, his election is a response to emotional and cultural issues. As I indicated earlier, more than people going out to support Borges, they went to vote against Cass, and that is what extends his victory. What's more, under this logic, the erosion of his popularity has been growing lately. I do not agree with the thesis. I believe there are other factors that explain his triumph, and that's why he can't sustain the deep popular support that got him elected. And how do you see the government's prospects looking forward? Can it recover its popularity? Bueno, está complejo el escenario en Chile. Well, the current scene in Chile is extremely complex. We have the Mapuche subject. There was just the murder of a member of that indigenous community. The subject of organized crime is also very grave. We have a complex economic situation as well as a general degradation of the political situation. So it's a very complex panorama. And how can this be resolved? With a coherent and clear agenda that responds to these problems. We are not seeing an agenda that addresses these issues. And that creates a serious dilemma for the government if they want to implement their agenda. This whole experience shows that trying to fight these powerful structural issues like inequality and poverty is a major challenge for any government. Chile's new constitution will go to a referendum in September, and that's likely to be a watershed moment for the nation. But meanwhile, all of us at Pirate Wire Services would like to express our solidarity and support for our Chilean colleagues who were shot while trying to get the story out last Sunday. No journalist should be attacked for their work. And in particular, our thoughts are with Francisca Sandoval and her family. We really hope she pulls through. This episode of Pirate Wire Services was written by Paulo Rosas Chavez and translated, edited and produced by Amy Booth. Maximo Quitrao's comments were translated and interpreted by Joshua Collins. You can subscribe to us at piratewireservices.substack.com and follow us on Twitter at pirate underscore wire. We'll be back next week with a fresh episode. And until then, thanks for listening. Ciao, piratas! Ciao, piratas!